1: What is up everybody and welcome into the All-NBA show, part of the All-City Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam Matas. Tim Legler still on vacation today, but I am joined by the GOAT of Chicago. It's not Walter Payton. It's not Michael Jordan. It's Will Gottlieb. Will, how are you doing today?
0: I'm great. I appreciate the the kind intro. I'll still, you know, let MJ and and Walter Payton have the GOAT (laughs) title, but just to be in the same category, you know?
1: It's share. You share it with them. You know. It's who. Who's to say who's the true goat of Chicago? Could be either of them. Uh, We have a good show for you today because we are going to be talking about which of these teams is better positioned: Bulls or Hawks. Pelicans or Cavs, Blazers or the Pistons. I think everybody is positioned, everybody and everything is positioned better than the Pistons. But we'll talk about where those teams go from here. And later in the show, a little tour of All City as we talk to Gerald from PHNX Suns about the Suns' struggles and Kyle Newbeck over at PHLY about the 76ers who are maybe believing in themselves, despite all odds? We'll we'll get to all of that. But before we do, I got to tell you that we are presented as always by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code ALLNBA, because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Void were prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. Well, as we always do on the show on Monday, we take a look at our weekend warriors, players from over the weekend when we were off the show, players or teams, and we talk about who particularly stood out. This segment is presented to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. And so I'm going to throw it to you and say, who was your weekend warrior? Well,
0: I'm going to go with a combo of player and team and pick the Clippers, who I think are on their seven-game win streak right now, which is the best in the league. And they've just gotten so much like bad press ever since the Harden thing. And they got off to the slow start. Yeah. But it seems like they're really finding their footing here. Kawhi is looking like Kawhi again. Um, really dominant in both these wins against the Knicks and the Warriors, as you have listed there in the graphic. Um, I don't know, Adam, do you feel like they're kind of like back in fringe contention now, or is it still kind of like a wait and see thing? I know they've always struggled against the Nuggets, and that's really a barrier for them. They did beat you guys, um, I think, 10 or so yeah. games ago. But like, right. it just it Not feels even. like Harden's starting to click. Uh, Kawhi is looking good. And it seems like they're really kind
1: of figuring themselves out a little bit. So the Clippers are a funny one because it's all about a matter of perspective. For the longest time, they were, the expectations were way up here. And so anything short of that, there was a lot of criticism. They've fallen so far, I think, in everybody's mind that the the lens you view them through is so different because, and I say that to say that you look at their starting five, it has been unbelievable. And that's probably the most important thing. Um, Dwight Powell, you got you got guys like, uh, you know, obviously you have some bench players there that um, that can do some things. And then you have Daniel Tice, who like makes up a good second unit front court, help, helps you build that. So to me, you look at them and you say, yes, this team actually looks like they are different from the iterations that have failed before them. But has the central question changed, which is, are they going to be healthy long enough to and at the right times to build the chemistry yeah, and, right and momentum and, and to beat the teams? And that hasn't changed. So I would say that I think their ceiling now matches what their previous expectations were. They have something, but that question to me is always going to be there with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George.
0: I think that's a fair way to put it. But to me, I think the matching their previous ceiling is the key Um, because obviously, you know, three, four years ago, whenever it was when they kind of put this thing together, you had Kawhi still at the peak of his powers and it felt like an organization that was really just like full steam ahead, one mission, unified vision towards building around him. And as those injuries piled up and, you know, they kind of had to make some trades, I think that, or maybe not trades, but just like bringing in Russ and and things like that, where it's like, they felt like they were kind of reaching. And even with the Harden move, um, like, was that really what you wanted to do here? I mean, James Harden's been kind of all over the place. And I know he played well last year with Philly, but like, is he really the guy that's going to put you over the top? But I mean, in their last two weeks, um, according to cleaning the glass, they are second in offense and fourth in defense. I just feel like they're really kind of clicking on all cylinders. And if they if they are healthy at the right time, and that's obviously going to be the big if. It does, to me, feel like they have kind of reached what you said, their their you know previous ceiling. And I think, to me, that's good enough to compete with anybody in this league, especially where there aren't like your super team warriors. I mean, the Nuggets are really like The the closest thing to that, but I don't really get the sense that they're just like a four straight years in the finals. Like there's no real questions other than that. So
1: um, I like what the Clippers are doing. I do, too. I, I will say they like the Phoenix Suns. I think they have a similar issue slash strength. They're really good at what they do. How versatile are they to do other things? Because the playoffs are all about if a team slows you down at your best punch, you got to go to your counter punch. You got to start going to other things. And they're a team, and I think the Phoenix Suns are especially a team like this. They're almost impossible to stop, but if you stop them, what do they do? I think that they're a little bit like this. And look, your weekend warrior was the Clippers and Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard is the best player in the NBA in a lot of series. <laughs> but if he's not if a play if a team does slow him down do they have other things that they're comfortable going to I think James Harden provides them that you can go to more spread pick and roll but is that a thing that the team is going to be comfortable doing is kind of becoming James Harden's team if it's necessary that's just like a question I have about them culturally and also just how versatile they can be in a playoff series we'll have to we'll have to find out let's move on though I want to talk my weekend warrior is Keegan Murray One of Tim Legler's favorites, a guy we've actually talked about quite a bit on this very show, and he puts up a career high 47, 12 of 15 from the three-point line. I mean, this guy got off to a slow start shooting the ball. He's such a huge X factor for them because his growth curve can just be so huge. And look, it was the Utah Jazz. It wasn't exactly like a juggernaut, but his shot looked great, and his confidence in his shot looked great. 12, to get up 15 threes, first of all, is is big time. And to make 12 of them, I don't know how many players in the NBA are capable of making 12. And he goes for it in this one. I just feel like this is kind of, I don't want to call it a watershed moment because he's had big games before. But this one to me is one where you look at it and go, what is Keegan Murray going to be in April? Is he going to be meaningfully better? And is this a game that we look back on and say that was a a, a turning point for him and he becomes this 43% three-point shooter from here on out?
0: And they're kind of the, it's a kind of a opposite question with the Clippers, um, or the Kings, like they have their two guys that they run everything through, but it's like, who is going to be in the playoffs? The other guy that helps them. And, you know, if teams are taking away part of what Fox does or part of what Sabonis does, then you have this sort of gap there. And, you know, if Keegan Murray can become a guy that can, I mean, it's, not going to be 12 threes in a game, but if he's giving you like five, six, seven on average, like right. that's huge. And I think for the Kings to be successful, they really do need to be this overwhelmingly powerful shooting and offensive team. And like, you just need to get every ounce of juice out of that, that you can. And, and if Keaton's going to do this, then I think that puts them in a pretty good position. Um, maybe we can talk about the Bulls in a little bit here, but like the Sam Emick report today that Zach Levine could be um, a good fit there and that he's kind of interested in playing alongside Fox. I mean, that's the kind of um, like offensive turbocharging that you kind of need from Keegan Murray. I feel like that's kind of why they are potentially interested in, in Levine. Um, but it's just like, that that's has to be, to be. What the
1: What would the trade the be? Fit there. Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean,
0: it would have to be like the money just is so difficult. It's like um, it would have, probably have to be like Barnes and Herter for, and like, you know davion mitchell or um you know one of their smaller salaries like that but yeah i mean it's just like do you really want to go all 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 in on shooting and scoring and playing fast and getting threes up and it seems like they do um but if they already have that guy or somebody that can be you know 85 percent of that on a rookie
1: scale contract then you know maybe they don't need to go that direction this sounds like a bizarro version of what the Phoenix Suns have done. Only Zach Levine is not Kevin Durant. You know, like it, it's not yeah. even close. The the Kings to me have their superstar, they have their secondary guy in Sabonis, and then they have a lot of players that fit the culture and fit the style. I don't know if they have enough defense, but to trade that for Zach Levine, who has never proven to be a winner anywhere. And I'm not trying to look, Zach Levine's a good player you know i'm not trying to like blame him that he has not been in a winning organization but to say you're going to go into a playoff series with a defensive backcourt of zach levine De'Aaron fox and malik monk to me that just seems like what what are you doing you're already a great offense this would be doubling down on something so um i hate that move for sacramento uh i think it would be insane and and part of this probably just has to do with how you view keegan murray and i know um and some of this is, look, Legler has talked me into it. Uh, and he, he's a guy that, that we were talking about before the show launched, and he's been a guy I've been keyed in on, and I just love the way he plays. So I don't see it. And 47 points. I know this is the year of crazy outlier scoring. He almost got 50. It's almost unsatisfying that he didn't get to 50 points because that would have been a pretty random 50-point score had he got there. I think even as a 47-point score, it's a pretty random one that Keegan Murray got there in my opinion. Yeah,
0: it's kind of it's like the nature of the way that the game is moving, right? Like any of these guys, yeah, you know, I don't want to like throw Keegan Murray into a category of like any random role player, but you know, like guys can get super hot and the way that the Kings play certainly um benefits that and can kind of it was it was a night where Fox was out and it's like they need somebody and the ball was going right out.
1: Who do you think? What's the most random big score? I mean, Zach Levine had that 51 piece earlier. Jalen Brunson over, you know, just had his big he scoring 50, output yeah. of the weekend. Desmond Bain, I think he had 49. That's a pretty random one. I'm trying to look. Cam Thomas at 45. He's a bucket. I'm looking at all the top scores from this year. There hasn't been, I think this is, I think Keegan Murray's the most random big scoring output of the season. Um, that's the most random how many, guy that I think got to the March.
0: Yeah. How many of those guys hit like, you know, seven or eight or nine threes in a game that got them there i i I don't think zach did in that 50 point game that was so long ago now um he had seven threes he was seven of 13. (laughs) against detroit no less and and their last win detroit's last win
1: when they were two and one (laughs) on the season Oh my God. That's terrible. Uh, the other nominees, by the way, for this weekend, the 76ers won two games against Detroit and Charlotte, uh, on a back-to-back against Charlotte. And they won by a combined 85 points. And Joel Embiid, of course, has vaulted into pole position, I think, on the MVP, uh, rankings off of, after a month straight of 30 point games, he has not gone below 30 points for over a month now. Um, So, and they're undefeated in the games he played. They're 0-3 in the three games he missed over the last month, but they're undefeated. He also could be a weekend warrior. So let us know in the chat chat what you think, if you have another nominee uh, or somebody you think. The other game we want to talk about before we get into this, um, our our main topic for today is the Bucks and the Rockets game. I wanted to highlight that one because of all the games that happened yesterday, (laughs) look, the Suns almost lost to the Wizards. That would have had they lost. That would have been our top story today, but they didn't. They pulled it out. I think this was the most interesting game because Malik Beasley has now missed a pair of games. I've on the show talked about how Malik Beasley is the guy that I can't buy the Bucks if they close with him. But with him out of the lineup, it elevates. Pat Coddington's been back for a couple of games who I think is you know a, a veteran player that you could trust in that spot. But they went with Andre Jackson, who I love. I actually am really into this guy as I am with Marjan Beauchamp. To me, those two guys almost form this like athletic rangy defensive duo that just brings energy they they play with him they close with him and he was phenomenal in this game i thought and that was the story to me that's kind of why i wanted to talk about them what did you see in this game and and what do you make of andre jackson
0: well that was the first thing in my notes too uh just the way that he hassles the ball handler um coming across half court it was just like every single possession The Rockets were like struggling to get into something or it took them until, you know, 17, 16, 15 seconds on the shot clock to get into their action is because Andre Jackson was just like weaving over screens and really putting pressure on him. And outside of Van Vliet, the Rockets like shot selection and decision making is just so shoddy that if you can like make turn them down a little bit and just make life a little bit harder on getting into a possession, I think that really um, puts the the Rockets in just like a tough spot where they kind of have to create, where somebody else has to create. And Shen has right. been that guy at times. Uh, Jalen Green is what he is at this point. But like, they just don't really have a secondary. It's like Dylan Brooks a lot of times. That's like the secondary decision maker. And I think that's really been a big weakness for the Rockets this year. Um, but that game, it was like, do you ever watch um, Power Slap? Like the... It's like no. boxing basically, oh. but it's like these two guys will be like positioned across from each other. There's like a, a medium in the yeah. middle and they just take turns like winding up and smacking each other in the face. And it was like the Bucks defense is just so bad that they're just giving up points. <laughs> and then yeah. every possession, the Bucks walk it up the floor and they run either pick and roll to get uh, Dame on a switch or Giannis the ball in the post. And it's just like back and forth so slow. Um, but I mean... Yeah, the the Rockets, I thought, being as good as they are defensively this year, having such a a problem with the Bucs was like not that surprising because of the way that they can just kind of dissect you. The
1: the funny thing for me is with that slap thing that you're talking about, I've seen some clips of this on social. It's always one like 400-pound man with like a grizzly paw versus like you. You know, like yeah. I always see this and I'm always like, what is this matchup? Is there not weight classes in the slap boxing thing? Um, so anyway, I just thought that was funny. Uh, but no, Andre Jackson, Marjambo Champ, to me, I, this sounds really incendiary because you have all these great players for the Milwaukee Bucks. I think their title hopes might come down to those two guys because I think they need those guys to, to – they need a defensive option. First of all, they have to get better defensively. Those guys aren't going to save their defense, but I do th- – hold out hope that they're going to figure out some defense throughout the course of the year. But in the playoffs, you're going to need to be able to throw some elite defensive players out at other teams wings. And right now they don't have, I mean, Malik Beasley is not going to be that guy. Obviously, Damian Lillard makes you vulnerable in your backcourt. I think they're going to have to play heavy minutes and they might even have to close with one of those guys in, in certain matchups and certain things. And last night, you know, Andre Jackson hits a three He's shooting, I think, like 12 of 30 or he's like 45 percent or something on the on the year. I can't remember what the exact number is, but it's on really low volume. He's clearly yeah, yeah. somebody they're going to leave open. And I just his development to me just seems so important for them if they are going to be a real contender and not just, a, you know, a great regular season team, which they clearly are going to be as flawed as they are. They're still winning.
0: Yeah, but he's got such a good like nose for the ball. He understands when to move, when to cut, when to offensive rebound. Like his spacing is going to jump things smart. up, but I think he's just got such a smart nose for the ball uh, that he's going to be able to make plays. He's like setting pin in screens to get guys open for corner threes. He's cutting at the right time. Uh, good offensive rebounder. He's a good ball mover when he does get it. Um, you know, I think he had like four assists in that game. He's just like shuttling it to the next guy. And to me, their offense is going to be good enough with Dame and Giannis and Middleton and Brooke Lopez out there. Right. And they're going to try, they're going to take away the rim. I think for for the most part, just with those two giant rim protectors, like it's just so difficult to get in there. And so if you have one guy who can really hassle the point of attack, it just, it can really boggy I And mean, the bulls are a great example of that. Like none of the, none of their players are great defensive players um, on their own, but like Caruso is so brilliant that he, just like cuts everything off at the point of attack before it happens and right. that can solve a lot of your problems so um I, I think they can continue to funnel stuff to Brooke and Giannis, and just have like whether it's andre jackson or Bo camp or whoever it is be that guy that can really um just take some stuff away in early pick and roll action or like i said earlier um you know slow down the opposing offense from getting into their sets quickly that can just do such a world of difference um right now i think they're like in their in the 20s on defense but um <laughs> yeah. i agree they'll kind of they'll have to like steadily um get better i think right now it's more just about like figuring out the Giannis and dame pairing yeah. and like how to generate offense um but certainly at some point that defense is going to become like they're they going to need to tighten in i feel like jackson could be uh, a pretty big key to that because like you said you cannot play you know, important minutes with Malik Beasley and Chris Middleton nope. and Dame out there at the same
1: time. It's just like, you're going to get killed. I think Beasley's like three of 18 or something in the clutch from three. And I looked at all three of his makes. One of them was a heave at the buzzer. So like, to me, he's just not going to be a guy you can count on in the close. Andre Jackson, by the way, you mentioned that he was smart. And that was the thing that popped out to me with role players, a guy, especially guys that can't shoot it's, do you know what to do to, 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 You know, are you a good screener off ball? Eric, Eric name, by the way, at at the athletic, one of the best, in my opinion, one of the best beat reporters, team specific beat reporters out there. He had a great uh, film study on some things that he did in that game as a screener off ball. And Bobby Portis afterwards talked about Bo Champ and Andre Jackson saying both of those guys are about the right thing. They work their tails off. And the veterans on this team really believe in them because of that. They just they're trying to be. What the team needs them to be, not trying to be something else, and I just I love that about them. Let's move on though. We are, are, we want to get into this now here as we move into segment two. I want to talk about if you had to become, you know, if if you had to put your money on one team figuring it out going forward. I, I'm trying to figure out the best way to phrase this. Who is set up to become a successful team in the in the coming years? Who is more set up? And we put it a couple teams against each other, and we're going to start with the Pistons and the Blazers. This might be the easiest one, in my opinion, just because the Pistons are currently set up to be the worst team we've ever seen. They might very well achieve that mark. But if we just look at this Pistons Blazers, which one would you rather have? And how did you approach this question? So I think for all
0: of these, like the immediate, uh, certainly for these like rebuilding teams, like draft picks are a big piece of it. What's your like uh, your crop of young players and their potential and then also what is your draft capital situation moving forward? Um, I think I probably prefer some of the Pistons players to some of the, uh, blazers young players. Um, I'm a big Mm. Asar Thompson fan. I still believe in Cade. I I, I don't think he's, his his, like number one on a good team, like heliocentric kind of star is probably fading a little bit, but, um, I'm still a big believer in him i'm a believer in ivy so i like and durin has been just awesome when he's been available so i like probably their young core a little bit better but they have the pick outgoing it's protected so they're probably going to end up keeping it um the blazers have a little bit more in the way of picks but to me like the difference comes down to decision making and i just way more believe in joe cronin and what he's done uh to sort Mm -hmm. of reset this team around scoot henderson and you know the way that he managed the dame trade and then flipping drew um, picking up pieces along the way. I just, I, I trust him a lot more at this point than I trust Troy Weaver.
1: <laughs> I think that part is really big of it. You know, who do you trust? And then you can even go to the top and talk about ownership. You know, you could talk about, yeah. um, management, even above, you know, just the general manager, you have a little bit of a, you know, the Tellums. I know you have like a, a, a tell that's a lead scout. I always hate that when you have some, some nepotism in in a front office because it makes you think you're not going to turn things around um so I think you have that factor to it this is how I approached it because you're right the draft capital to me is close enough like they're both they're both relatively similar I think it's when I look I love Asar Thompson as well he's probably my favorite if we talk about all the players here he might actually be my favorite I do believe in Cade Cunningham I think a little bit more than consensus but what I'll say is I worry that these these first three years of a a star player's development are so important. And I worry he hasn't gotten that. Like the, the, the deck has been stacked against him. Piston is, I don't want to say the Pistons have ruined him because there's still the opportunity, but I feel like they have stagnated his growth based on not having enough shooting, kind of having a carousel, you know, of who's around him. Um, so i that's how I look at him. And then on the other side, and I was just talking to Dan Maring, uh, who covers the Blazers, does a good job there. I was just talking to him about, The Blazers, I don't think, are set up for a rebuild. I don't think they have a cornerstone piece. I don't think that they have like, oh, in two years, this guy's going to be this. They have some really, really good players. They might be set up for a Miami Heat rebuild, which is, you know, one year where you're like this, and then you make some trades for more veteran star players, and it's like, okay, we're ready to be good again. I don't know who those players are, but they have a lot of athleticism. They have a lot of wings. They have some defense. They just don't have the star players to build those guys around. And if you can move on from you know some of these other pieces here in the next two, three years, if you get somebody great in the draft, I, I feel like that's, that's why they are closer to having a path forward is because they have so many good assets that they could maybe turn into a star or two that's further along.
0: I think that's a good point. And it's also like, I think the pressure at this point, um, like the Blazers, you can just kind of feel that they are giving themselves time and they just started this. So they do have time. Um, whereas right. the Pistons, yeah, it's like true. they've been trying to kind of like pull this together. They've made one of their big moves, which is changing your coach. Like that's that's like one of the big moves that a front office can make. That's like now you're on the clock a little bit. Um, And obviously Monty Williams has his reputation, but like it hasn't really gone well. I mean, they're benching Ivy and like I was gonna say they're not like, playing
1: they're not playing Ivy, which doesn't make sense. This is such a weird like, a, especially for Monty Williams. I would have guessed that's like the first thing he would have done, right? You play the young guys.
0: Well, I think, you know, what I've heard is that like, if you're not um, capable or in his mind, like understanding um, the way to play the right way, um, or you're not like, you know, receiving information well, or, you know, a lot of that stuff is like more off the court and not to say that like I was doing anything wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying that or reporting that or anything. But I just think that there's probably some something sticking more on that end than it's just right. like, let the roll the ball out and let the young guys go run around. Um, but yeah, it just seems like there's so much more dysfunction there. And like the pressure, oftentimes, like the pressure to be bad is not that um, powerful because like there's a top draft pick coming out on the other side of it. Right. But like the Pistons, they've already done that. It's like year four. They, they got to like hurry this thing up. And right. now it's like, yeah. well, they're going to fire their, you know, are they going to fire Weaver? Are they going to make a trade that kind of like, you know, a short-sighted trade to help them get out of this mess, but maybe that sets them back longer term. So um, yeah, I just, I don't trust what they're doing there. I like a lot of their talent, but I'd rather have like the more patient, slow approach with this kind of thing. And it seems like the Blazers are just like way better positioned to be able to manage and tolerate that.
1: I uh, I think we're both going Blazers on this one. We didn't even mention, by the way, Absolutely. Shaden Sharp, uh, who, you know, maybe has some potential. I mean, he's so athletic. He does pop off sometimes. Um, maybe he has the potential to be a number two, number three type player on a really good team. And, you know, that that's an important thing as well. Let's move on to our next one. Bulls or Hawks? And this is where you get to talk about your team. The reason I picked these two is because I think both of these teams to me project to be stuck in the middle like they don't project neither one of them project to be a team that's like okay this guy's gonna make the leap and then they're a contender they both have some pieces but i don't know that they're necessarily going anywhere so if you look at this one how did you approach this question bulls and hawks i think you can probably throw
0: the raptors into the same category of team um yeah. but they've got a little bit more potential upside with scotty barnes obviously um, right. so here I think it, again, it comes down to like draft capital, draft capital, not only what you have, but like what you're potentially going to give yourself if you do decide to pivot. So, um, obviously the, the Hawks traded a boatload of picks for DeJounte Murray. Um, but I really yeah. like the, the deal that they retained him on. Um, I think that's like a pretty clearly value contract. Um, they are going to be a team similar to the bulls. That's like got that hard cap of the luxury tax. That's just not going to go over it. Um and like, the big similarity here is like, are these teams really willing to pivot directions? And I, d- just covering the Bulls, I don't get the sense that they're really ready <laughs> to do that. Um, I don't know about the Hawks, but to me, like their younger players, I think, give me a little bit more hope for the future. Um, I really like Jalen Johnson. I think he's just a stud. Yeah. Um, Kong Wu, I think, yeah. has a lot of room to grow and I think he'll get a lot better. I'm still buying on uh aj griffin stock i know he's been pretty terrible this year and just kind of like out of the rotation um but like to me they have a younger a, a better crop of young players than the bulls even though kobe white's been playing out of his mind lately um, are you not buying it the draft picks am i not buying kobe yeah like are you not buying kobe because I he's mean, been fantastic i i buy well first of all like his uh shooting numbers are going to go down he's shooting like 52 percent on threes in the last 10 games 12 15 games whatever it is like that's just going to come down um i think he's a a very good player i think he can kind of play this type of game but i don't think he's going to be you know like a 25 a night on 50 45 90 kind of score just all of a sudden um so yeah i mean this this one's really tough i think like the the difference in um draft capital and you know what the bulls could possibly get for Levine. How does that factor in? Um, right. It's still probably lean Hawks here just by a little bit. They've got new ownership. They seem to, um, have a little bit of a better sense of like who they are. And I think this era of Trey Young is going to be a a very interesting one in terms of whether they decide to sell on him. Um, but yeah, I'd say until like something major changes with a Zach Levine or Trey Young trade where like the the incoming picks and you know young players and whatever else really kind of pushes me in one way direction one direction or the other I, i'm gonna lean hawks but it's it's pretty close
1: last week legs and i talked about how neither of us would want trey young as our cornerstone piece i think why i yeah. put these two teams against each other is the bulls seem unwilling to ever rebuild and i think the hawks are unable to move on from trey i just think they're going to have to be around him and i don't love that I still would take the Hawks for all the reasons you laid out. I don't think the Bulls have tons of pieces. But I do think that if ownership and management at the Chicago Bulls team said, hey, we need a five-year plan here and we're going to rebuild and be smart about it, I actually think the Bulls could get out of this. doesn't seem like that's what they want to do. So I'll go with the Hawks. Last one, and we'll go quickly on this one. Pelicans or Cavs? What I like this one is both of these teams had aspirations for being further along than they are right now. And both teams kind of seem to have cornerstone pieces that there is questions about their future. Donovan Mitchell, and then of course Zion. So, which one of these two teams would you rather be?
0: This is definitely the toughest one. Um, I've kind of talked myself in and out of both, but right now, despite the uh, the draft capital heading out, I'm still probably leaning Cleveland a little bit, um, just because I mean, you kind of mentioned like um, their like inability to pivot out of. The, the Hawks inability to pivot out of Trey young. And I kind of get that sense with the Pelicans with Zion. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're so expensive. They can't stay healthy. They've got to pay Trey Murphy this summer. Um, I just like, I don't know how they accomplish all those things. They do have a ton of draft picks, but, um, I don't know at a certain point, it's like, do they seem like capable of making the tough decisions that they need to. And I've seen the calves go out and make a huge trade for Donovan Mitchell, and maybe they can recoup some of the picks that they have outgoing for that. They've still got a really nice young core and they've got their own pick this year. So like these, and if they do decide to trade Donovan Mitchell, now they could kind of use that as an opportunity to get in another high caliber, young, cheap player, um, in this year's draft. Whereas like the Pelicans are going to keep going for it and, you know, they are playing better lately. I think they've, they've shown, um, that when they have CJ Zion, and ingram on the court together like they can be very good but to me it just seems like there's a ceiling there and they haven't really figured out what what it is that they need to do next and i think for a lot of these teams that are like taking years to figure out who they are and what they need to do
1: it just it kind of sets you back yeah that's the case with both teams i love the pelicans as role players i've talked about them several times on the show i just i'm i'm I think that they have so many guys that either have a lot of value in a trade or are just great to be building around. We talked about Portland. Maybe you could add a star to their team because they have good role players. Nobody has better role players, in my opinion, than New Orleans. If you were to find a trade, I actually, it's crazy and I got yelled at for this, but I advocated for the Pelicans making a trade this offseason with Zion and just moving on because to me, at a certain point, you have to risk the fact that this guy might get it together because the risk of him not just is too high. And that's how I felt about Zion all this time. He's so talented, but I would not want to tie my future success to him. Is there a team out there, like unlike Trey Young now, is there a team out there that will still talk themselves into Zion? And can you get another or different star in some kind of deal out of that? If you could... I just love the supporting cast that they have. I like their coach. I think that they could make something of it. So I will go there because, unlike Tim Legler, I'm not a believer in Mobley as a cornerstone piece. I'm sorry. It's not like Mark Campbell, who's on the show with me on Friday. I'm not a believer in Evan Mobley as a cornerstone piece of a team. I think he's a little bit lower than that. So I don't buy uh, what the Cavs are doing. Will Goatley, I appreciate you spending some time with me on these ones. I thought these were fun questions and uh, you had some Yeah, really this is a really fun exercise. Very fun, a fun exercise. exercise. Um, If you guys want to hear more about Kobe White going off and how much longer this Cinderella run will go, join him, Big Dave, and Matt Peck. Matt Peck hasn't been throwing his hats lately because the Bulls have been playing well. Nothing to throw your hat about. Um, But I appreciate it. Uh, Thanks so much for joining on with me.
0: Thank you. Have a good one.
1: All right, coming up next, we're going to get Kyle Newbeck, who's with uh, PHLY 76ers, to talk about Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, and the uh, duo that has given some hope to Philadelphia. But first, all I want for the holidays this year is some NBA action. This week, new customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just five bucks, an instant dub just for you. There's all of those Christmas games later in the week. We're actually going to be giving you a betting guide. We're gonna have to get easy money, Emma, to give us some picks for, for Christmas day. We're gonna be giving you a betting guide for Christmas. It's a great day if you haven't bet yet on the NBA this season. Christmas Day is a great day to get in on all of that. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code NBA. New customers can get 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on basketball, only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code All. The crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, you can call 877-8HOPENY or text HOPENY, that's 467 467- Now we welcome in Kyle Newbeck from PHLY covering the, one of the hottest teams and one of the best stories in all of basketball, the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, So thanks so much for joining me, Kyle. First of all, how are you? I'm hanging in there. I am
2: preparing for another year of Joel Embiid versus Nikola Jokic MVP debates. So just, uh, just getting ahead of that in December, but it's good to
1: be here. So look right now i think Joel Embiid him pulled position after the month he had you know we just talked about it's been over a month since he's been below 30 points not 25 not 20. a month since under 30 and he's got a 50 piece in there he's got some things he's obviously on a roll but what i want to ask you is there uh, teams go through stretches when they come up short in the playoffs for a couple of years in a row where you kind of lose hope and a team loses hope. Like, is this plan going in the right direction? In this off season, James Harden calls Daryl Morey a liar and all these different things are happening. And I'm looking at the 76ers going, I think it might be up. We might've expired, you know, we might've expired. But then Tyrese Maxey comes in, James Harden goes out and it looks like against all odds, there's reason to believe. I mean, do you kind of follow, is that the sense that it's been that you're at this low of like, we're losing faith in the team and then it's not just that they're winning, but how they're winning—that's kind of rejuvenated belief in the team. Do you get that sense being inside it?
2: I, I absolutely do. You know, I obviously I deal with Philadelphia fans every single day, <laughs> right. and right.
1: But as we as
2: we launched our show, launched our company, the, a lot of the pushback is like, "Well, why should I care about the Sixers? They've let us down so many times before." And it's been a combination of things. You brought up Tyrese Maxey. Obviously a big one, like to have this beacon of hope that they have in him where I, Daryl Morey brought this up the other day. I think it's a lot of young players improve, right? Like guys who become all-stars generally year one to year two, year two to year three are the big jumps. Well, now Tyrese Maxey has made improvements year three to year four as well. Like he just keeps going and going and going and making these, these awesome leaps. And so it makes you believe, all right, there's an even higher ceiling on this kid. So that's number one. Nick Nurse coming in, changing how yeah. they play, changing some of their their habits. They're they're moving more, they're cutting more. Uh, certainly, the James Harden trade helping with that, right? Where the way I think about it is, there are now no scheme breaking defenders on this team, right? Like the big the book against Harden is, it's it, he can defend you in the post, he can play one on one and all that, but you put him off ball, he's not paying attention, he's apathetic, all that. They don't have any of those guys anymore. They they have a lot of length and athleticism on the wing that they frankly have basically never had in my lifetime. Like depth at wing is just an impossibility in Philadelphia. And I think the culture of competitiveness that they have right now is really good. You know, they have a lot of guys on one-year contracts, vets with something to prove. Like Kelly Oubre, his reputation preceded him right. here, right? He's a talented guy who can never really fit in on a good team. He's come in and he's playing his ass off for this team and went from starter to bench guy because of the accident he had, had an injury, was out for a little bit and has still come with the same night to night hard hat approach. So, yeah, it's a team that I think Philadelphia has bought in on very quickly, quickly and rightfully so.
1: So I, all of these are great points. I want to unpack them one by one. And I want to start with before we even get into X's and O's, here's my read on Philadelphia for the 76ers from the outside. You've had Jimmy Butler, and you've had James Harden, you've had Ben Simmons. Culturally, none of those guys were a fit. Forget about the on-court thing. Culturally, there's always been something to that where Embiid has almost felt above and separate from the counterparts in, in some way. And I feel like with Maxi, Maxi seems like a great dude to me. And He seems like this great guy who, I mean, you hear the stories about he goes to work out with Joel Embiid and Drew Handler, just throwing entry passes because he wants to know where he – Wants the, you know wants the ball and different things, and I feel like there is a respect level from Embiid to Maxi, but also a camaraderie, just like an an enjoyment of each other that wasn't there for Ben Simmons, wasn't necessarily there for Jimmy Butler, and wasn't there for for Harden. And I think these things matter. These two guys seem like they like and respect each other in ways that maybe the big twos out there have not in previous. Do do you feel the same way?
2: So I'll push back on it a little bit in the sense that I think. Jimmy and James and Joel had good relationships. Like I actually think Jimmy in a lot of ways was a really important guy for Joel to play with early in his career because there's a clip that has gone viral a hundred times of Jimmy, like screaming at Joel to take a shot and empowering him to be like Jimmy walked in here knowing Joel was the best player. And that was before a lot of other people I think did. There's still some Joel versus Ben debates at that point that, ended up that's looking wild. really silly yeah listen that's <laughs> it that's a story side for were another on?
1: Day. So, which side were i was on?
2: firmly on the joel and side so <laughs> okay, history has vindicated me many times over so jimmy was good for him and i do think there was a, a level of cohesion between him and james i think the main difference is the x's and o's i, I think okay tyrese is the first guy That you can legitimately say that he has a two man partnership with. Like the the thing with James Harden, right, is they run that pick and roll. He hits him with the pocket pass at the elbow. Joel takes the free throw line jumper or, you know, jab steps, whatever. James, during that process, once the ball's out of his hands, he's hanging out on the perimeter, standing there doing nothing, essentially. Like, you know how James Harden operates. He's not a big catch and shoot guy, off ball player. He doesn't shoot him. Right. I'm an on-ball talent. And when I'm not on the ball, I'm just kind of hanging out. Well, Tyrese Maxey is flowing into two and three and four actions at a time. A pick and roll becomes a dribble handoff, becomes a relocation, becomes a, he flies to the other side of the floor, he clears out for Joel. And so he's sort of like a combination of, Joel built great partnerships with Seth Curry and JJ Redick, guys who are movement shooters, who are going to suck attention away from him in the middle of the floor so Tyrese is now one of the best shooters in the NBA but he's also got the off the dribble juice so if you have him in a handoff with Joel, where JJ Redick is just either he's taking a three or he's giving the ball up Tyrese can get to the rim put pressure on the rim or he can find somebody else if you know they collapse on him they stun on him in the paint so it's I think and we've made this case on our show I think it's the best partnership he's ever had and I don't think it's even close
1: and I, I, the X's and O's in chemistry here almost overlap it, it, because when you were talking about Harden, when he runs a pick and roll with anyone, it's a Harden pick and roll, meaning he's looking yeah. to do to, to make reads. And I think that that is the difference is Maxie is running this offense to set up Joel and then making reads off of that. You know, he can attack in his own right. He's obviously so great off his handoffs, but it's like, hey, this is our cornerstone and we're playing through him. Where i just feel like the hardened thing's a little bit different so these th- the x's and o's and the chemistry part of this again it, there's a respect level and understanding between those two guys that i just feel is is very very important that materializes in how they play you mentioned the movement and i do think this has more to do with harden than anything else but you credited nick nurse what other things do you think nick nurse has brought to this team that were different from lock rivers did
2: well the pace is Significantly faster, and again, some of that is James Harden, right? Like him and Joel right, and as the two up. cornerstone players. It's a very methodical walk it up, use the entire shot clock. Tyrese Maxey is your second best player. You're naturally going to be fast, but I mean, they've been for most of the season. They've been top three ish on offense, top two. And I actually talked to Nick like a week or two ago, they were sitting second on offense and the defense had really been struggling. I said, you know, we've been talking about the defensive struggles, but like, what can you do to go to the next level on offense? And he goes, I want to play faster. Like, I, I want to just get into stuff. Quicker that's right. And, quicker yeah. and, quicker. and so that's just, that's a really important pillar of, of what he wants to do. I would also say like, again, so not to harp on roster changes too much, but going from PJ Tucker to... A guy like Kelly Oubre, for example, when he makes yeah. a baseline cut and Joel Embiid hits him with a pass when he's being double teamed, that's a dunk. Like that's an easy right. two points. Whereas PJ Tucker's trying to take a layup and he's getting sent into the fifth row, getting a shot blocked and things like that. Right. And it's it's a less rigid system where I think Doc wanted it to be, we have our two cornerstones It's Joel and James and everybody else is just in their spacing spots. You're in the corner you're on the wing, you're in the trail spot, and you don't really move that much. And Nick wants it to be a a more democratized offense, essentially. Like, oh, we might put Daniel House in a dribble handoff. We might ask Kelly Oubre to run a pick and roll. Tobias is going to be more involved. Tobias is not just going to be a spot-up type player. And so I I just think that's allowed all these guys to feel – like they're part of something and not just like we're along for the ride with Joel and James. And I think that has fostered a a high level offense so far. Now we'll see how that works against the elite of the elite in the playoffs. That's always the big question for the Sixers. But as of now, they're really rolling.
1: Nick Nurse known as a better strategist than Doc Rivers. So, I mean, that's another different. I mean, that'll really materialize, I think, in the playoffs. You'll see if if that bears out or not. But um, that's one thing worth noting my last one for you is just what stories under the radar about the 76ers? You, I mean, Kelly Oubre's obviously, everybody is, knows that he had a big impact early on. What, what storyline or what player do you think is not being discussed outside of Philadelphia?
2: Uh, we keep talking about him. Nick Batum has just been a yeah. revelation for this team. We've actually been joking not even really joking, we're going to do an entry pass of the night segment on the podcast because <laughs> I love that. I, he's he's maybe the the only player that Joel has ever played with that can get him an entry pass at basically any time. Yeah. And I, I, he's sort of like the ideal role player to me in that every single thing that he does, he does quickly. When the ball hits his hands, he already knows what he's doing next. Maybe that's a catch-and-shoot three. Maybe that's an entry pass to Joel. Maybe he's taking a guy off the dribble or he's just swinging the pass around the perimeter. But when you contrast that against somebody like Tobias Harris, who is more of a catch, think, react type player, it just makes a night and day difference. And I don't think it's any mistake that with Batum in the lineup, Batum as a starter, they're firing on all cylinders. Now we're going to have to see what does it look like as the schedule gets a little tougher here. They've played... This has to be the worst stretch of teams that they've played in my entire life over the span of the last two weeks or so. But look, I think one of the big differences this year versus years past is they would mail in these games. They would end up in a a dogfight with five, ten minutes left in the game that either they might lose it and everybody would be pissed off or they'd have to pull it out of the fire. To be able to go into all these fourth quarters where Joel Embiid just – waving a towel on the sideline and they're, they're whooping and hollering enjoying garbage time. That in itself is a big upgrade from seasons past.
1: Every every team, like there's, I don't know the roster schedules level out, but a team as we just talked about, our vibes going to be low. What do they need? Getting this stretch here early to me feels like it was great for Philadelphia because they're feeling great about themselves. They have some momentum. And to your point, there's winning and then there's winning by 50. Like, You play bad teams. You didn't eke out a win. You didn't, like, look ugly or this or that. You win by 50. You're feeling good about yourself, and you're playing some good basketball. Uh, For more, check out PHLY. Great coverage over there covering the Sixers and everything else Philadelphia. Kyle, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, man. All right, I'm going to take a break here. One last break, and on the other side, the Phoenix Suns struggling, not really getting their big three on the court together. We'll have Gerald from PHX Suns join us here in just a moment. But first, we've got – a new partner here today guys you cross meal prepping off your list this holiday season with factor i don't know if you guys know about factor meals they deliver those meals right to your door they're quick they're ready in two minutes for you to eat and they have all these different types of categories for example people know i like to do keto not always around the holiday season but i do like to do the keto diet as often as i can whenever i'm trying to slim up they have great options for a variety of different diets and i'm telling you we just got the i tried my first factor meal the other day it was a sun-dried tomato pasta not the type of thing i would have typically like made or ordered from a restaurant and i'm not kidding you 10 out of 10. it's the only thing i've had from this place unbelievable i know easy money emma has had some uh in the past emma what's your favorite that you've gotten from from Factor meals my favorite is the breakfast honestly just they have like these uh these like banana pancakes that you just throw in the microwave what? so good so banana good. pancakes.
3: Yeah, and then their
1: smoothies. Their smoothies are to die for. Yeah. They have those. I think you could see them on the little on the lower third there. Oh, yeah. um, they come into like a little uh, plastic bottle, basically. And they're like, yeah, like fruit juices. So Factor Meals, I'm telling you, I've seen some of these before. I've tried a handful in the past and they have not been great. Factor are by far the best I have ever seen. And like I said, they have very specific dietary ones. So if you're on a very specific type of, type of diet, they probably have options to use. Head to Factormeals.com slash AllNBA50 and use code AllNBA50 to get 50% off. That's code NBA 50 at Factormills.com slash AllNBA50. All right, let's welcome in now, Gerald. He's coming to us over from PHNX Suns. He has been covering a Suns team that has run into some injury luck, some bad injury luck to start the year so far. So, Gerald, first of all, welcome in.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be on.
1: And I'm glad uh, that the Suns got the win against the Washington Wizards over the weekend, or else this might have been a little bit more of a concerning one. Uh, As it is, the Suns sit at the 10 seed. I will say that I think there is a comfort of being in the West right now with the Warriors. You know, the the teams that are outside the play and just look like they're not going to even claw into this. So I think that there's like, if you're a team like the Suns, there's a little bit less pressure. But that being said, the Brooklyn Nets' problem was they had three players that just never played together. You come over here and form a big three. We're two months into the season and they played two games and it's going to be a couple weeks before you even get a chance to. How concerned are you personally that it's looking like you're going to get almost halfway through the season at earliest before you get a real sample size with those guys?
3: Yeah, I'd put it at like a 7 out of 10 right now. I I think if you look at the pieces when they've been out there in the 24 minutes that they've been together, it's been a plus almost 25 net rating. It looks great. Um, The problem is they haven't been out there enough to build continuity together or more importantly for the other guys, the bench guys, to get comfortable in the same role from game to game. That's a problem. Like if Beal's out for even two weeks, best case scenario, he comes back for the start of 2024 and you're perfectly healthy the rest of the way, you're still only going to have about 50 games together to build that continuity. Is that enough to topple a team like the Denver Nuggets in the West that are built on that chemistry and that cohesion? I don't know it feels like they're kind of running out of time to get the reps that you need to be ready against playoff battle tested opponents um so it's it's tough because we've seen the flashes we've seen what it could look like even when it's just booker and durant out there but right now we just haven't seen enough of it and it's starting to feel like we might not get to see it at all
1: because i mean kevin durant you know you don't feel like if you did get to, let's say January, you still count on Kevin Durant to probably miss some games, just naturally given his age and, and, and his history. So you're not going to, it's not going to be like, oh, he's here January and you play it straight through. Mm-hmm. Is there a minimum number of games that you feel like, I mean, you just said 50. I feel like if we go the absolute low end, I would say 20 games, that, that's the <laughs> low end, but 20 games together seems like my limit. What's your number that you can have?
3: If, if the goal is to win a championship, which with this group it is, I would probably say 30, 35, if you want to have a realistic shot of winning a title, which, I mean, even 20 would be nearly double what they had last year going into right, the playoffs. Right. Um, it, it, I think it's just tougher this time around because last year you had a lot of guys that had still been on the roster that still had right. familiarity with the system, with Monty, with Book, um, and KD is one of those plug-and-play guys. He can play with anybody, but... When you're looking at this year's team new coaching staff a bunch of new guys from all across the league there's no um carryover in terms of the system really other than assistant coach kevin young so in even with that a lot of these guys are new they don't know this system they don't know these plays they don't know right. these terminology so it's one of those things where you need those reps with your full roster with your full bench guys to kind of get that continuity and and I think that's one of the biggest problems defensively too is obviously they have their shortcomings on that end but when you don't have the same group of guys that you're playing with on a night in night out basis it's hard to learn how to be on a a string and you know build those tendencies together
1: you mentioned Vogel you know what do you feel like he's bringing to the team and what's the personality of the team that he has brought to the table
3: Honestly, it's hard to say at this point. Like it's, it's really, yeah. it sounds really bad. But one of my big notes in terms of what they need to do moving forward is like build an identity because heading oh, into yeah. the the season, they talked about being a scrappy defensive team. That hasn't been the case outside of like two guys that they have that are known for that. They talked about playing faster. They're twenty sixth in the NBA in pace. They talked about you know getting up a ton of threes. They're twenty fourth in the NBA in three point attempts, yeah. even though they're tenth in three point percentage. So it's like, I, I get it to a certain extent because it's hard to build an identity when you don't have the same guys on a nightly basis. But it, it just hasn't been there so far. It's basically been Devin Booker or Kevin Durant cook for us, and the rest of you guys kind of read and react to whatever they're doing, um, and it just hasn't worked. Even though they're a borderline top 10 offense it's been hard to figure out what this team's identity is to this point i will say Nerkic, real,
1: real quick, hold on one second real quick with that you know booker or kd cook and do something how much hmm. of that do you think is that's what those guys want
3: i think that's part of it with kd i do think with book part of the struggle for him in terms of the whole point book thing that he's been navigating is like turning it off and on between scorer and playmaker because a lot of the times. You know, it's only been him or KD out there or just him. So he's been getting hit with all these gimmicky defenses. Like they've seen box and one, they've seen triangle and two, yeah, see. they've seen full court, half court press, um, all kinds of different things to get the ball out of his hands. And I think Book's done a good job of getting off the ball, making the right play and that type of thing. Uh, but it does feel like in the fourth quarters where they've really struggled, it's devolved into your turn, my turn, isolation basketball. And, you know, that can help you in the playoffs if you're hitting those shots. But In the regular season you need to get those other guys involved and a lot of times it feels like they're just trying to figure out when to space when to cut and where to be on the floor based on what those guys are doing
1: so tell me if you agree with this over at dnvr you know obviously we had the playoff series last year we look at this and we are blown away that every time there is a ranking on players or anything kevin durant shows up ahead of devin booker kevin Mm -hmm. durant's phenomenal has had a phenomenal career in that playoff series last year, and on some of this is matchup. Kevin Durant was like, "Yeah, that's a problem, but all right, we're gonna you gotta manage it." Booker was the guy that we were like, "If we're gonna lose, it's gonna be because of Devin Booker." It he's obviously running point. He's doing these different things. I look at this and I go, "Devin Booker is the player there, and Kevin Durant is the supporter." Do you guys view it the same way, or or is that are we simplifying this this too much?
3: I think it's tough to say. I think that Devin Booker is the straw that stirs the drink here just because of like you mentioned, he's the playmaker and he's still scoring at a nearly, you know, 29, 30 points per game clip. Um, Like the Suns go as far as Devin Booker goes. I think Kevin Durant is their main threat offensively in terms of the scorer um and, and i think, I think to this point
1: might be a
3: <laughs> yeah it, it's i mean it's pretty it's a pretty potent punch that you have the one two punch between the two of them it, it's just tough because i think the reason durant has been ahead of book is because he's played more games and book has missed you know nearly half of their games to this point but in terms of their importance to what the Suns are doing we've seen the Suns with kd and without book and we've seen the Suns with book and without kd one flows a lot better offensively than the other and it's because of the playmaking aspect
1: right um real quick on this one and i'm almost being a jerk asking you this but you <laughs> you saw mikhail and cam johnson come to town the crowd clearly loved them. is there any part of you that looks back especially with how well book has played in the last year and a half is there any part of you that looks at it and goes maybe that was maybe that formula a, one more year of that formula might have got it done
3: I, I mean, I was very staunchly that season. I was staunchly in the category of, look, if Cam Johnson is healthy, those four together, those five together, that's still a title contending team. And we didn't really see it much because Cam Johnson got hurt. There were a bunch of different injuries to Chris Paul, DA, whatever. But I I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment because we still haven't gotten to really see what this iteration looks like. And Kevin Durant has been playing out of his mind. Like they got the best player in that trade. But especially here in this fan base, there is definitely a contingent of people that said we should have never given up on these homegrown guys, these guys that we love. Um, there was just a different joy to this team, and obviously winning yeah. brings that. But even without that, when they were going through the highs and lows, like it, it just felt different. It felt like there's so much pressure on this team now. Um, there's so much angst about the big three not being healthy. There's so much anxiety about if we don't win a title this year or next year, what are we doing to build around Booker after that? And, you know, it, it's been cool to see Mikhail grow in Brooklyn and whatnot, too. So I think that's adding to it. There, There's definitely a portion that wonders what that might have looked like. But then again, this fan base was the same one that was complaining that, well, we're not good enough to win a title this year. We got to make a big move. So the
1: Grass is always greener, for sure. <laughs> yes, for sure. exactly. <laughs> um, this is the central question I have for the Phoenix Suns. Even, I mean, and it sucks because, you know, we got to wait to see the big three. But even with the big three, I still have this question, at least on paper. Can they defend anywhere close to a championship level? Like, do they, in your opinion, have a defensive option? Like, is it even possible for them to be a good defensive team?
3: I think it's possible. I, I think if you're talking about playoff games, that's where it gets dicey for me. Because I think Nurk has done better than I expected, at least defensively. He still definitely has his shortcomings, and we've seen teams target him down the stretch in the pick and roll and take advantage of that. I think what they need is a third center. They don't have, like Mm. Yusuf Nurkic has his flaws. Drew Eubanks has either been great or horrific when he's been in the game. And other than that, their centers are either Bol Bol or going small with KD or Metu. And I don't know if you can hold up against a team like the Nuggets with Jokic or you know, any of those teams that have a capable big man like that, I think you need a third athletic rim protecting big, which, you know, ironically, they kind of had last year with Bismack Biombo and don't have now. Um, but I, I, I think they have what it takes. You look at last year, like the Nuggets, I think, were middle of the pack defensive rating until the playoffs when they stepped it up and were a top 10 defense. I think the Suns are kind of hoping to be in that same group where when the playoff rotations get shortened, they really lock in defensively. But as of right now, they just haven't been able to cobble together lineups for long enough to build any of that cohesion.
1: Do you have any sense of what their best closing lineup will be? Is it is it dependent on basically, you know, are, do you need to catch up or go down? But if you're trying to get stops and you're playing your big three, what are, what are the other pieces?
3: Yeah, that's a tough one. I I think Kogi might need to be in there, but we all know his offensive limitations. We saw it in the Denver series, how they just basically left him wide open. Um, Jordan Goodwin might be the alternative to that because he brings a lot of the same thing, but is more willing as a shooter um, and as a scorer. I, I think... At the five, you're either looking at KD, Chemezi, Metu, or probably Eubanks, because I, I just don't know if you can survive with Nurkic out yeah. there. We know playoff time, they target your every weakness, and he's going to be the big one.
1: Man, they're they're kind of a fascinating team. And last year, you know, KD gets over and what did he roll his ankle in warm-ups in before his first opening debut? And it's almost like since yep. that moment, they've had the same story. It's just like they're they're this promise that we keep getting delayed for and Mm -hmm. and you know unfortunately for them that's the case now and we'll have to wait to see but for me i look at this team and i go they might be the biggest experiment in basketball right now honestly the phoenix suns might be the biggest experiment because of how one-sided they are they're an offensive juggernaut they are an isolation heavy junker dot and and maybe it works maybe it doesn't but unsadly we're not even going to get hints at the answer to that question for another couple of weeks. What is the latest on Beal, by the way? Do we know what what the time frame is?
3: We're supposed to get an announcement from the team, an update on his status. We've heard from Shams and a couple of different people that we're probably looking at two to three weeks. So probably around the start of 2024.
1: (laughs) It's not that long. Like, I know it feels like it, but it's only, (laughs) you know, it's only January. Uh, Maybe we'll figure that out. Uh, Man, I appreciate it, Gerald. This was great. Um, You know, and everybody, if you're ever looking for Phoenix Suns coverage, PHNX Suns wall-to-wall coverage, written stuff from the arena, and then obviously their show, wide variety of of personalities. You can go and hit hit that outro music for us. Emma, I see in the chat Joe Schmo, Jalen Brunson not on the Weekend Warriors. Absolutely right. Should have been a candidate. I don't know that he would have won it, but absolutely should be a candidate. We're going to have to update our graphic for social because his 50 ball over the weekend was a big one. That's a great one uh thanks to will gottlieb thanks to kyle newbeck thanks to gerald everybody tim legler back from disney world tomorrow he'll be joining me as we break down some great games tonight do us a favor and hit the like button on the way out we'll see you guys tomorrow
2: we all silly like the mayor